Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. It is under your name that we bow before you today. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that we might hear from you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, welcome to Palm Sunday, everyone. This is a Sunday in which we commemorate and celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in which the crowds hailed him as king, shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. But this is also an ominous day, as you probably picked up from our readings and some of the prayers, because it's the events of this procession, it's the events of, of this parade into Jerusalem which set into motion Jesus' eventual demise. This parade is the last straw for those religious leaders. It would be a matter of days now when the religious leaders would whip up the crowd, that they would um, just infuse the crowd with anxiety and fear and frustration, and then the crowd would change their tune. The city that sang out Hosanna to the king would soon demand that this king supposed king, now be crucified. So now the church calendar slows down into real time. And over the next several days, we will journey alongside Jesus to the cross. Today, he's hailed as king and savior. Later, he'll eat the Passover meal with his disciples. He'll pray in the garden. He'll be betrayed, tried, beaten, mocked. He'll be enthroned upon high on a cross. He'll be pierced. And killed. And in fact, in a few moments, we're going to read that story as a preview into Holy Week. We're going to read the Passion of Christ. And if some of you are feeling a little confused by this service today, you're in good company. Uh, one author that I recently read says that Palm Sunday, the, the strength of Palm Sunday, is its schizophrenic nature to it. On one hand, we have the, the truth of, of the beauty of who God is, He is our King. But then we also have the truth of his crucifixion and that it is our sin that sent him there. We have hints of both sin and grace, of resurrection and condemnation. All of that is contained within this day. So if you feel confused or schizophrenic, I understand. That's part of the design of this Sunday. So at Calvary, the Passover lamb is slain. Sin is finally atoned for by the perfect offering of God himself. Water and blood flow from his side, witnessed by Mary and John. That is, the church then receives her sacraments of grace from the side of our wounded Lord. And finally, we hear the Father's great amen, the resurrection of his son. The lamb who was slain begins his reign as the Kenyan liturgy says. So a question for you. What do you think the next couple of months are going to look like for us? For our world, for our city, our society, for your, your families, what are the next couple of months going to hold? What sort of celebrations are you planning? Vacations? Friends who you're hoping to be reunited with? What is it going to look like when we finally see this blasted pandemic slowly start to fade away. 
Some of you have already received the Fauci ouchie. Uh, many of you, uh, this week actually, all the adults are going to be, um, are going to be uh, eligible to receive the vaccine. Uh, I've gotten my first jab. I've got my next one coming up. But my guess is that this next couple of months for us are going to be completely transformative, isn't it? Are you ready? Are you ready for all the changes that are going to happen? I know my kids are ready to start running around the neighborhood like crazy people, um, you know, going in and out of people's homes like they usually do in the summer. Are you ready for life to return to normal? But spiritually speaking, are you ready? Is your soul ready for this? Do you know what's coming, what's, what's ahead of us? Because I'm really curious to hear how this past year has affected you, how it's impacted your heart, how it's shaped and scarred your soul. How has this last year been for you? It's certainly been hard. I think a lot of us have picked up a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. And my guess, though, is that some of us here have, affected, have, have been impacted by some significant wounds that need addressing. And my fear is that if we step into this summer celebration pretending that we're just fine, pretending like nothing ever happened, well, those wounds are going to come up at some point. They're going to fester. They're going to come back and they're going to grip us all the more loudly. And so my question is, what kind of soul work needs to happen between now and then? Because I wonder if the timing of Holy Week is an actual providential grace of God. This is an opportunity for us to come under the surgical scalpel of the great physician and ask him to heal our bodies from this wretched year so that we can step into the celebration of what's ahead in all fullness and glory and fun and laughter and song and merriment and feasting. We need to be able to step into that in wholeness, don't we? Well, Holy Week is an act of prayer. Holy Week is a contemplation of the cross. But not only this, Holy Week is a journey towards our full restoration. It is a journey towards steps of our full and complete wholeness. And so for the rest of my message today, I want us to look at our reading from Isaiah. A difficult reading. This reading is sometimes also read on Good Friday. But this is an ancient poem. It's a, it's a song of the, the suffering servant. The prophet is able to, to see this vision. He's inspired by the Spirit of God into the events of the cross. And he sings out. It's a prophetic poem of the work that Jesus will do upon the cross. And so if you listen carefully to these words, it'll sound a lot like God the Father singing his praises over his beloved son. And I think hidden within this song are three, three principles or three invitations or three steps that we can be taking towards our wholeness. And so I'm not going to be going through this verse by verse. That would take forever and, and there's a lot more of our service that we have to go through. Instead, I'm going to be lifting out of this three principles for us to look at. Three steps, like I said. And I'm sure you'll find many, many more as you meditate upon this profound passage um, later. So first, we see in verse 5 that Jesus is pierced for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. 
And then later in this poem, we read in verse 8, he's stricken for the transgressions of the people. He bears the sin of many. In other words, Jesus bears our grievances. He bears our mistakes. He bears our hurtful words, our lustful desires, our acts of violence, our lies, our arrogance. All of this is piled upon Jesus Christ, our Savior and Messiah. And the text says that he's pierced. Pierced. That word is used earlier in Isaiah for dealing a final death blow to the great and mighty dragon. It is a word that's being used to fully run something through, to defeat it once and for all. You see, Jesus is not merely pricked upon the cross. He's not merely annoyed while he's up there. He bears the full weight of our sin where it is finally dealt with once and for all. The curse receives its mighty death blow. And so I think that the first step towards wholeness that I want us to consider along this Holy Week is a step towards confession. So like I said, being isolated from our communities, being stirred into a frenzy by the media and all the other um, powers of this world. We've gotten these anxieties that are just hovering over us. My guess is all of this, no doubt, has led to an emergence of, of old struggles, old battles that you thought maybe you had left long ago that, that you've um, defeated a long time ago. So my question is, what sins have come to your attention over this past year? It's not a fun thing to ask. It's not a fun thing uh, to put forth before you all. But this is Holy Week. This is when we grapple with these things. What battles have you been fighting this last year? What are the things that you need to confess before your Lord and Savior? Because this week there are many opportunities to do so. You have many opportunities for confession this week. Maybe it's Maundy Thursday as, as you gather in your household and as you wash your family's feet and they wash yours. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to, to tell them in those moments ways in which you've wronged them and you're sorry. Maybe it's at the Good Friday service in which we're all going to clutch a cross of Christ and we're going to meditate upon the, the sacrifice that he made. And maybe in that moment, there's something already, even now, that God is placing upon your heart that you're being inspired to bring before the Lord as we clutch upon the cross of Christ. Or maybe some of you want to make a confession to, to a priest, not because Rick Storrs is anything special or whatever. I'm a sinner just like you. But as an officer of the church, someone who's been um, laid hands upon by a bishop to represent the, the church and, and Jesus Christ to pronounce the forgiveness of sins, maybe you want to come to me privately and confess your sins. And I would love to announce the Lord's forgiveness over you. If you want to do that, reach out to me. Let me know. And we can set up a time for that. But Holy Week is an opportunity for you to confess your sins. Because God wants to offer you his forgiveness. He wants you to enjoy forgiveness. Jesus said, I've dealt with this so that it no longer has power over you. He's given you the Holy Spirit to walk in a, in a life of victory. We confess our sins to Jesus Christ because he wants to give us freedom. So may we not emerge from this holy week without confessing our sins before the Lord. So secondly, what do we see in this poem? This poem of the suffering servant. Well, in verse three, we read that Jesus was a man despised, that he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. 
He was acquainted with grief. He's despised. And we esteemed him not, the text says. And then later in verse 8, it says, By oppression and judgment, he is taken away. By oppression and judgment, he's taken away. You see, Jesus doesn't only take upon himself our own individual sins, but he takes upon himself the, uh, the sins of an unjust, violent, and broken world. All the sins of, of this world are placed upon him. Sins that we've committed, sins that other people have committed. Jesus is rejected and despised. He was harassed by a mob of terror. He was thrown before corrupt leaders and condemned. He was wrongfully condemned. He was horribly beaten. He was stepped upon, kneeled upon, forgotten by the world, and mocked by criminals themselves. You see, Jesus, he suffered pain because of the sin of others as well. So my second question for us is how have you been sinned against this past year? What sort of injustices have you witnessed or experienced? What sort of oppressions have come against you by no fault of your own, but simply because we're in a fallen world surrounded by other sinners? Maybe it was even someone in our church. I don't know. Maybe it was me. What sort of ways have you been wronged against this last year? This has been a year full of internal battles, but also our families have been put into strain. Our workplaces, our classrooms have been put into strain. Our very neighborhoods have. We've had a really challenging year. I think especially of the students, right, uh, who, who so, um, I, I think, look forward to, to going to school, to being with your friends, to playing at recess without any restrictions and bounds, just having fun all over the place. And you kids have given up a lot this year. You've had to put these masks, these masks on, sit in classrooms or behind a screen and try to, try to engage in, in learning in that sort of way. And you miss seeing your friends. I, I know my kids certainly do. And all of us, as residents of South Minneapolis, we've experienced terror of these violent mobs marching through our very streets, just bent on evil and destruction this wantonless revenge. Many of you have boarded up your businesses, your homes. You've sent out your families to safety. Many of us have picked up ash in our front yards from parts of our city burning on fire. This past year, many of your hearts have just been moved to despair, witnessing the the ethnic injustices of this world. Your families have been put into tension, and not to mention the political upheaval and just confusion and fear and frustration that we've all been through as well. I could go on and on and on just listing all of the things of this past year, but my point is this. Jesus knows what it's like to be shaken by the powers of this world. He has been there. He knows what it's like to be squashed by the oppression of this world. Did you hear God's word this morning? In verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. What is your grief, friends? What are the sorrows that keep you up at night? What are the anxieties that haunt and bother you? By his wounds, we are healed. Friends, may this Holy Week be a step towards healing. A step towards healing. So whether it's the disappointment over wearing masks at school or anger over mobs in your neighborhood, give it to Jesus. Place it at his cross. 
He is a man who is well acquainted with this frustration. Give it to him. Hand it over to him. Cry out to God, God, this burden is too heavy for me to carry, but you can carry it. Your shoulders are strong enough, Lord. By your wounds, I am healed. So may this holy week be a step towards healing for us all. So third, we read in the middle of verse 10, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. We'll come back to that. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. And if we jump down a little bit, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So what's going on here? There's so many fun phrases in this. What's going on? Well, in short, the father sees the guilt offering of the son and he's satisfied and he's pleased. This is how justice flows. This is how righteousness flows. This is how healing flows One scholar says what Jesus knows, because you'll see here that Jesus says, or that the text says that Jesus sees things. What Jesus sees, or Jesus sees what must be done. Jesus sees what must be done, and then he accomplishes the task fully. We hear that the son shall see his offspring. That is, Jesus receives a family. That's us, brothers and sisters. We are joined along with him as the fruits of his victory. And then Jesus inaugurates his new kingdom, the kingdom where life is prolonged. Did you hear that? That's an allusion to the eternal life that we all are going to inherit. Sin is eradicated and we're all clothed in the beauty of righteousness. So the third step that we can take this Holy Week is a step towards the majesty of God. The majesty of God. Now that's a weird word, majesty, right? When's the last time that you've used that word? It's not one that we, that's very common, is it? Majesty is is kingly beauty. It's royal grandeur. It's glory. It's beauty. To have majesty is to have power and authority, but to use it with fairness and with love. To have majesty is to be able to speak the truth, to embody goodness, and to emanate beauty. And friends, Jesus Christ, through his victory on the cross, has all majesty. All beauty and goodness comes from Jesus Christ. You see, he is the suffering servant who removes our sins, who takes away our sorrows and invites us into the joy of his presence. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in our Philippians reading. God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, friends, there are going to be many opportunities for us in this upcoming week to taste and see the majesty of God. Maybe it will be that Maundy Thursday service, where as you're washing feet, you're blown away by the humility and the simplicity of God. Or maybe it's on that Good Friday service in which we contemplate Jesus' victory on the cross. Or maybe it's going to be at the Easter vigil service, which is going to be the coolest night of your lifetime, I promise. This is going to be so awesome. I was here for the rehearsal on Saturday, and it's spectacular. But on this Easter vigil, we're going to retell the salvation story, and this room is going to be filled with righteous laughter and bright lights and abundant joy. Maybe that's going to be an evening in which you are just blown away by the majesty of God. Or maybe it's on Easter morning when we inaugurate our feasting of of the resurrection. 
My prayer for all of us is that at some point, we come face to face with the majesty of God through this holy week. So friends, this past year has shaped us mightily. We've received bumps and bruises along the way. So may this holy week be an opportunity for us to step towards restoration, a step towards wholeness. So what sins do you need to confess? What burdens and sorrow do you need to receive healing for? And how might you behold the majesty of God? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all of our praise and honor. God, this has been a really hard year. And I pray for all of us, for myself, my family, and and all of my brothers and sisters who are here in the room and joining us on the live stream. Lord, this has been a year of loneliness and sorrow and confusion and fear and anxiety. And Lord, we want to lay that down upon your, at your feet. Lord, may you deal with it. And as we show our wounds to you, Lord, may you pour in the nourishing, coolness, healing powers of your Holy Spirit. Lord, by your wounds, we want to be healed. So make it so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.